Well, we are in Matthew chapter 28. We've been going through the Gospels looking at the different takes on the Great Commission for the last several weeks. We took a break last week to honor our mothers, and we're back on it this week. This is our final passage we're going to look at pertaining directly to the Great Commission. After that, I hope to move on to a book study. That's kind of my plan. But it's going to take three Sundays to look at this passage, so I've got time to work that out. Before we get started on it, by show of hands, I know this is risky to do in church, but by show of hands, how many have heard the Great Commission? Now, I don't mean heard of the Great Commission. Heard the Great Commission. A lot of us. Okay. Just getting that established before we go on. I want to read it, Jesus' words, one more time before we start studying it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Growing up, this may shock you, probably not though. Growing up, I was a terrible student. Terrible. It's embarrassing how bad of a student I was, especially in elementary school, a little better in middle school, a little better in high school. But overall, terrible student, terrible role model for your children as far as how I was as a student in school. Just want to get that out there. feels great to get it off my chest, finally, now I'm 26. But in elementary school, we would get assignments. You'd have homework in elementary school. I think they still probably do now. And I just wouldn't do it. I would not do the homework. I would come up with ways so my parents didn't find out that I had homework. And I would come up with ways to trick the teacher into thinking I had done my homework. Whether that would be, you know, just sort of frantically putting something together that morning when I first got to school. But I would not do it at home. Would not do homework. I would play G.I. Joe's instead. Because that, to me, to my fourth grader, whatever mentality, that was by far more important and pressing business. I had to stage epic G.I. Joe battles. No time for homework. Now, occasionally, this caused a bit of anxiety for me when I would get back to school. Because sometimes the teacher wouldn't just take it up. They would go over it with us. And I came in one year. I'm thinking it was fourth grade. It may have been third or fifth. I'm not really sure. But I remember it very clearly. It made an impact on me. I came in, had not done my homework. It was some sort of worksheet. I don't remember. Not sure what class. But the teacher had rearranged the classroom. So my seat that used to be in the back where I could sort of fake my way through like I understood what was going on or that I had done my work or that I had a clue what was happening at school, I couldn't do that anymore. I was sitting directly in front of where she taught. She had something like this, and she taught behind it, and I sat like right there. And she could see my desk plainly. So we had this worksheet that we were supposed to have done, and I took it on blank worksheet out, and we were going to go over it as a class. And I, I didn't want to do my homework, but I didn't want anybody to know that I was a bad student. My teachers liked me. My parents liked me. They <laughs> hopefully still do. So I would try to hide it, but I couldn't hide it anymore. So I got my trapper keeper out or whatever it was I used back then. And, you know, she towers above me since I'm just a kid. And I tried to, like, hold it really close to my chest and act like I was marking, oh, I got that right. Good job, Matt. Way to go. And I just kept it right up to my chest. And so obviously, about halfway through, she's like, Matt, I feel like you're hiding something from me. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? 
This is how it works. You don't do it like this? I thought that's how everybody did it. And then she made me put it down and saw that it was totally blank and I was just putting checks that didn't even correspond with where questions were. I was just trying to make my way through and it failed miserably. And I felt terrible because I was lazy, but I also didn't want to disappoint anybody. It was a bad combo. But that's the way I feel. All that to say, that's the way I feel often when I come back to the Great Commission. I mean, this is the Great Commission. Or the great assignment. And I feel like when we study it as a church, we're like kids at the beginning of class and we're like, I don't how many disciples have you made? I haven't made any disciples. Can I say you're my disciple? He's going to talk about it today. My suspicion is that if I were to ask you, interview each individual and say, okay, the great assignment Jesus gave us, go and make disciples of all nations. How'd you do? How have you been doing? How many people have you helped to grow closer to Christ? How many people have you led to salvation? How many people have you shared Jesus with, taught scripture to? I have a feeling many of us would not do terribly well. I mean, this is the great assignment. The last thing he told his disciples to do. It's our job. It's our mandate. It's what we're supposed to be up to. And how are we doing on it? So my goal here this morning is twofold based on this text. First, to make us all feel terrible. And then second, to fill us all with hope and and boldness and courage for the task. So the terrible part is first. So don't doze off in the beginning or you're going to hate my guts before you leave because you're going to miss the good part at the end. It's all good. Don't get me wrong. But I want to get at why we struggle to gain traction with this. If this is our great assignment... And we're Christians and we love Jesus. Why as a church in America and as individuals, many of us, not all of us, but many of us, why do we struggle to gain traction with this? So I'm taking three weeks on this text because I really want us to digest it. And I think that if we apply ourselves to studying God's word, we'll gain traction. And it'll be life changing for us in our own hearts. And we'll see God do amazing things in our church. People say they want our church to grow. Well, this is the growth strategy, making disciples. I really believe that this is what's going to happen. I believe it because of this passage of Scripture. Because there's more here than just the Great Commission. Many of us are familiar with the Great Commission. And we've tried to swallow the Great Commission pill. Go make disciples of all nations. We just can't get it down. That's because it's more than just a pill. This is like a big Wendy's juicy hamburger. And there's more to it than just the Great Commission. Now I'm just trying to make you hungry and test your resolve to stay here on a sleepy Sunday morning. We take the Great Commission in isolation, and that's why we have a hard time getting it down. But in reality, there's more to it than that. It's sandwiched between two other massive bits of Scripture. What I'm calling the Great Declaration is the top bun. Great Commission is the meat. The Great Promise underneath If we take it in its context, we're going to have a lot easier time grasping grasping this thing. The Great Declaration is what we're going to talk about today. Next week, we're going to get really practical and talk about the Great Commission. The week after that, we're going to talk about the Great Commission. I'm sorry, the Great Promise. But today, the Great Declaration in verse 18. Jesus declares, before he says what to go do, he declares, All authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go do this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, on the basis of this, because of this, through this, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then the great promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is huge stuff. We can't let our familiarity with the Great Commission blind us to the, to the context of it. Okay? So the great declaration is today. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. That's what we're studying today. Now there's some people in life that just don't have authority over us. They just don't. And the best example I can think of is when I'm at home and I hear the pitter-patter steps behind me and I look back and Elias comes marching around the corner with totally unnecessary rubber galoshes with monster faces on them. No pants, diaper, t-shirt with like a little dog on it. His sunglasses and his plastic fire chief hat backwards. It says, Dad, that way. Go. Go that way. Pointing to his room. He wants me to play. Sometimes he's very demanding about this. And he seems to really think he has authority over me that I'm going to be like, Oh, yes, sir. Let's go. Pantless, boot wearing little kid. I change your diapers. I don't have to do what you say. You're not the boss of me. Now think of Andy Griffith. I don't remember the character, but he tries to make citizen arrest. Just doesn't have the authority. Elias doesn't have the authority to tell me what to do. Clearly my fourth grade teacher didn't have authority over me. Because when she said assignment, I heard suggestion. When she said assignment, I heard suggestion. And I decided I'm not going to take that suggestion. I'm going to play G.I. Joe's. When she said you must do it, I heard you should do this. See, her authority over me was nominal, not practical. And what do I mean by that? She had authority over me. She was my teacher. I was her little student. In that sense, she had authority over me. But it was just nominal. It was just by title. Practically, her authority made no difference in my life whatsoever, really. She had no practical authority over me. I did not do what she said to do. I chose not to. I decided I didn't respect her authority enough to do what she said to do. Now, later in my life, when I was driving down the road, going, I don't know, 55 and a 45, it wasn't that extravagant. But I see a state trooper pass by me, do a U-turn, come back, turn his lights on. I pulled over. Because his authority over me was practical. He turns his lights on. I do what I know that means. I pull over. I don't decide, oh, those lights are just a suggestion. I'm going to keep on going about my way. No, his authority I respect. My teacher's authority I didn't respect. And there's all kinds of authorities in our lives. We talked about this during youth this morning. There's all kinds of different authorities. And we decide how much respect we're going to give to these authorities. We decide if it's going to be a practical authority. Okay, I'm going to do what this person's saying. Or we're just going to dismiss it. The doctor tells us, you know, you need to eat right and exercise. And we're like, well, no, he's got all the degrees and everything. But those Cheetos look pretty good. Not going to take that suggestion. We decide. Parents, bosses, teachers, religious leaders, pastors, governmental authorities, military authorities, law enforcement. There's all kinds of different authorities. We have to decide what level of respect we're going to give to. 
Jesus is saying here in verse 18, okay guys, he's got him in the huddle, the disciples, and he's saying, all authority, all authority has been given to me. Everything up there, everything down here, the Father has given me authority over it all. There's no arena of your life over which I am not authoritative. I am the authority that trumps all other authorities. Now, go and make disciples. Now, I asked you earlier how many of us had heard the Great Commission, go and make disciples. How are we doing on it? We're not going to discuss exactly what disciple making is this morning because that's for next week. I'm really excited about next week. Be sure to come back. But the question for us this morning is simple. How much effort are we putting forth in obedience to Jesus? In this, the great commandment, and all the other things he, he told us to do. To love our enemies, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love God with all our mind, heart, strength. To turn the other cheek. All the things he taught us to do, including and especially the Great Commission. How much effort are we putting forth in reminding ourselves of what he wants us to be doing? How much effort are we putting forth in obedience to Jesus? Now, this is one of those moments in church that we have to cut through all the religious baloney and see who we are. Is Jesus' authority over your life and my life just nominal like my fourth grade teacher? Or is it practical? Does it have practical implications for what we do? Because he's claiming to be the authority. The authority. This gets back to what we talked to a few weeks back. Do we just believe in Jesus like we believe George Washington existed? Or do we trust him and obey him as our Savior and our Lord? Some of you are hearing all this and your eyelids are getting heavy. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And sometimes I say, yeah, he's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my King. He's told me to do this disciple-making thing. Not too worried about it. When I see him coming in the clouds, I'll just grab a kid and start reading the Bible to him. Maybe he'll think I've made him a disciple. I want to read you a series of scriptures about this. I, don't try to flip to them. I want you just to hear them. Uh, I didn't bring my Bible that I'm quickest with, so it might take me a second to flip to all these. First, I want to read you from Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 9. Nothing out of Habakkuk today. Had too much trouble finding Habakkuk last week. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 9. says, For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died in return, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So if I were to ask you, why did Jesus have to die and be raised again? I think a lot of us would say, well, to save us from our sins. Yes, absolutely. But that's not it. Verse 9 says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. The Lord. I'll read some other ones to you. 
This is Paul writing. Paul described himself as a bondservant of the Lord, of Christ Jesus. In Romans 10, 9. I could ask you the question, have you been saved? Because Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Being saved has a lot to do with confessing and realizing and communicating and living in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Not just Savior. He is our Savior. And that's a glorious truth, but that's not it. There's lordship, authority, practical authority involved here too. Is Jesus your Lord? I could ask you, do you love Jesus? Let me flip to John chapter 14, verse 15. question on the table now is, do you love Jesus? We're all at church. Sure we do. John chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will obey what I command. You say you love me, Dillon's Grove, individuals in the pews of Dillon's Grove, Matt, Broadway with the suit, stand, talking to the individuals of Dillon's Grove. You say you love me. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. John 3, 36. If I ask you, do you have eternal life? The Bible says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. This isn't the translation I prefer here. Let's go to first John. This, let's go to the most... Shocking of all these passages I want to share with you. 1 John 2.4 1 John 2.4 And I wonder why this verse I'm about to read is less memorized and quoted than John 3.16. 1 John 2.4 The question here is, do you know Jesus? 1 John 2.4 The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. God's word does not mince words about this. The man who says, I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's like a dagger to the heart. I think my personal mistake, and I feel like also probably of the church, since I'm the leader of the church, is to focus so much on Jesus as Savior. And to be so grateful for that, that I forget about Jesus as Lord. And I can worship and be thankful and be grateful and expend all my energy and forget that He's my Lord. And I lie to myself if I say I know Him but don't know Him as Lord. I want to read you a quote from a guy I respect, John Piper. He says, Jesus is precious because he removes our guilt. He is precious because he gives us eternal life. And he is precious because through him we become authentic. Jesus Christ is the most important man that ever lived. To know him is more valuable than knowing all the most famous and powerful people of history. 
To be known and loved by him is a greater honor than if all the heads of state were to bow down in your presence. When the world is over and we stand before the judgment seat of God, many of you will look back with the shame and dismay at how small was the place granted to the Son of God in your daily lives. How seldom you spoke to him, how little of his word you learned, how half-hearted you resolved to obey, how narrow the sphere of life in which you eagerly sought his lordship. And on that day, you will wonder no more why you were so unhappy in this life. Unhappy at work, unhappy at school, unhappy at church, unhappy at home. It will all become clear. Half-hearted allegiance to the lordship of Christ and the practical affairs of everyday life not only robs Jesus of the honor we owe him, but it also robs us of joy and purpose. Jesus isn't just lord and authoritative over us like a a harsh schoolmaster, or a mean, demanding father. Some of us have bad connotations for authority. And I know we do. Some of us have had bad experiences with authority. Some of us have had people in authority of our lives who have abused that authority. Fathers do this a lot. Jesus is not like that. Jesus loved you and me enough to die for us. His authority over our lives is for our good. It's not just about obedience. It's for our good. And I think one of the reasons that we cannot gain traction on the great assignment to make disciples of all nations is that we just don't understand, first off, Jesus' authority. We take it as the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's our mission. It's not Jesus saying, this is one lifestyle you might think about leading, making disciples. He's saying, this is what I'm telling you to do. Go do this. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we must apply ourselves to this. We must, because he's our authority. All authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. And go therefore. When we take the Great Commission as itself, go and make disciples of all nations, and we miss this first foundational bit of scripture that comes right before it, we're going to have a really hard time gaining traction on it. Now, I want to mention again that next week, we're going to really delve into what this disciple-making thing is all about. But we need to lay this foundation first. Okay, now that's the feel-terrible part. Now, take that very seriously for myself and for you. I have to keep pumping this out there. I know you guys are wondering, why is he always trying to question our salvation? Well, for one thing, I do it because that's how Jesus operated You read the Bible, he spent a lot more time questioning the salvation of nominal Christians or of religious people than he did trying to reassure people who weren't sure of their faith. Because he said there are few who will enter the kingdom of heaven. The way is narrow. And man, I love you guys. I don't want that to be any of us in here. And I can only know you so well. So I have to keep preaching this. Because we here in the Bible Belt are religious people. But we don't need religion, we need Jesus. Anyway. On to the, to the uh, courage, boldness part. Because the authority means more than just we must do it. It also means that we can do it. I think a lot of the reason we don't gain traction with this too is that we're just kind of scared. We don't feel like we can do this. One of my jobs, the one I worked right before I came down here, was at a place called Connect to Communications. Which I always thought was a terrible name. I can't even hardly say it. But it was a PR firm. It was my first professional job. Otherwise, I was doing sales and retail sort of stuff. 
This was my first professional job where I had to talk on the phone to professional people at publications, both small and very big. I had to talk to publishers and writers. I mean, I was like a secretary. I didn't have a very important position there, but I had to do things that I was uncomfortable with. Because I didn't know how to talk to all these professional people. And it was about telecom stuff, this technology stuff that I still don't have a clue about. never understood it. And I was a nervous wreck. And I would talk to my boss, you know, I want to do a good job for you. But man, I, you know, I just don't know how to talk to these people, especially about the subject. But he assured me that he would not have hired me and put me on the phone to do this if he didn't think I could do it. Jesus' authority does not just mean that we must obey the Great Commission. It means that we can. We're backed by his authority. Lots of times we shy away from him because I feel like, well, who am I? Who am I to tell this person about Jesus? I have no authority. And you're right, we don't. But we're backed by God's authority. We're going into the meeting backed by the authority of the CEO. He chose us for the task, and he wouldn't send us if he thought us unprepared. We're going into the game backed by the authority of the coach. He chose us for the task, and he would not send us if he thought us unable. We're going into the job backed by the authority of the boss. He chose us for the task. He would not send us if he thought us unqualified. We're going into the world backed by the authority of the king to proclaim the king's message. He chose us. He would not send us if he thought us incapable. We're authorized. We're able. We can do this. And man, I long to see our church just passionately making disciples. Next week, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that. But our God is authoritative. He is over all. He knows all. He knows so much more than we do. He likes plays on our porch sometimes, and there's these big black ants. Every once in a while, one will just sort of roam across his blanket where he's playing, and everything stops. And he just keeps yelling, Dad! Dad, 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 Spider. That's what he calls anything, little and black. And I come out there, I'm like, Elias, it's just a little ant. Just... Just shoot away or ignore it or stop on it. But he doesn't understand that he has that that power. But I do. He doesn't need to necessarily conquer his fear about this. He just needs to trust me and obey me. We can't just keep pew-sitting because we're afraid to go out and make disciples. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to overcome all these fears. We just have to trust and obey God. He's not going to tell us to go do something he's not going to prepare us to do. He's just not. He loves us too much. There's one last scripture I want to read to you. This comes from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's basically commissioning Peter. But note what he says here. On you, on this rock, I, Jesus, will build my church. I will build my church. He will build his church. This disciple-making process is going to happen. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to to be afraid, oh, can I do this? It's going to happen. 
with us or without us. He wants to use us. He wants to use Dylan's Grove. He wants to use you. Now I want you to go from this place and this week, I want you to think about this. Think about Jesus' authority over your lives. Think about it because this might be the most important question you ever ask yourself. Let's not be fooled by our religious heritage. Is Jesus our Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he my Lord? That's the question on the table to prepare us for next week. And the reason I'm doing this, I don't want us going out under the name of evangelism or even giving money to Penny Crusade from a religious standpoint. I don't want us to do it because of that. I want us to do it because we genuinely love Jesus. I want us to do it because we genuinely get it, that the people need Jesus. Next week, we're going to really dig into the meat of this thing. I'm really excited about next week. Please come back for the next two. Because that's going to be the action and the hope. But for now, I'm going to leave you with that question. Is Jesus really Lord over our lives?